Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. That was all your worth, was laying on your back and on your hands and knees and and nobody really seeing anything else of value in you. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't make a certain amount of money, my trafficker withheld love for me. You know, if... Um, I, somebody, when you're taking your clothes off and then somebody's sizing you up to see if you're worth what they're paying, you know, all that stuff just um, degrades you as as a person. Pastor Paul's guest today is Jenny Gaines, the founder and director of JCS Sober Living Houses. Jenny has a remarkable story to share, a story of God's redemption from a life involved in sex trafficking with seemingly no way out to a new life of now helping young women get a new start, no matter how hopeless the situation seems. And now with Jenny's story is Pastor Paul Johnson. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence multiple rapes. Hey, it's so great to have you here on Life Support. This is kind of an unusual podcast because what we do here is we tell stories, and sometimes they're difficult stories, but it always ends up where Jesus enters in and changes everything. So I hope that you'll be encouraged today. And we have a lady with us who is going to tell us her story and how she's really made um the best of a bad situation and how God is using her in amazing ways. Her name is Jenny Gaines, and Jenny, thank you so much for being with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. She is the founder and director of JCS, Effective Sober Living, and we'll get to that, and we'll put some context to that and and talk about it. But your life story really led you to uh, this point, and why don't you just kind of tell us how you ended up being the founder and director of this organization, and what kind of things happened in your life to get you to this point? Well, um, i got to go all the way to the beginning then. <laughs> um, I came from a really good family, went to great Catholic schools, but at the age of 14, I was still recruited by a sex trafficker and lured into sex trafficking. I spent 28 years being trafficked. And during that 28 years, I went through all kinds of horrible things, being in prison twice, suicide attempts, um, losing custody of my children, being homeless, and then ending up with a, an addiction. And finally, I um, kind of came to the end of myself. And I called out to God to, I got down on my knees and I remembered learning about the salvation prayer. And I said it and with all my heart, crying on my knees for God to give me a different life, one that he wanted me to have, because I couldn't live another day in that life. And if that was what my life was going to be with, like, then I just wanted him to kill me. And if he wasn't going to do that, then he had to give me something different. And I remember waking up the next day, and there was still violence in my life, still drugs in my life, still complete emptiness. I lived in a world without any love. It was very apparent to me that the world did not care about prostituted women. 
And I thought God didn't hear my prayer. But when I look back now, it's been over 10 years, maybe since 2011, he did hear my prayer because it wasn't long after that that he led me to a program called Breaking Free, and they help women who are victims of trafficking. And I was finally somewhere where people challenged some of the dysfunctional thinking I had, all the brainwashing I had, that the only thing that I was good at was being a prostituted woman. And I um, I knew I was going to work there the moment I got there. Um, after I graduated from the program, I spent a year just volunteering, picking up cigarette butts. They couldn't get rid of me. And um, then they had an opportunity where they were able to give a few of us a paid internship. So I I accepted that internship. I got $150 every two weeks, and they had me answering the phone. And different staff taught me different things. You know, I didn't even know how to send an attachment with an email. Mm-hmm. I I learned, you know, um, you know, office politics because I didn't understand those either. And eventually, I became the intake specialist. Then I became a woman's advocate. And God took all the stuff that I had been through, and He took them and He used them for His glory. And I was able to help other women. And I was a very valuable employee there. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so this all started when you were 14. Yeah. Um, we hear a lot about sex trafficking. It's a, a term that's used in the media quite often. Can you kind of tell us what exactly is included in that term? Like what goes on within the sex trafficking umbrella, under the umbrella of that? Good. That's a really great question. And actually, what they prefer to call it now um, in the movement is sexual exploitation. Mm, That's better. Underneath Mm -hmm. the umbrella of sexual exploitation are many things. There's sex trafficking, which means there's a third party involved, a trafficker. Um, The other two parties would be the victim and then the demand. Um, There's also sexual exploitation where maybe there's no trafficker involved but women are involved in prostitution because they just feel like there's no other options because lack of choice doesn't make it a choice Um, there's women who maybe have to sleep with somebody for a place to stay that's considered sexual exploitation women who have addiction issues and they have to sleep with their drug dealer for their drugs you know um, all that dancing, stripping, pornography, all that falls under the umbrella of sexual exploitation. So when someone is uh, thinking that pornography is a victimless crime, they're not thinking through exactly how that got made and how those people ended up there, are they? Ex- exactly. They're not thinking that. It, and it looks like it's a choice. The women look happy to be there. But we know that no one would choose to do that. No no little girl sits around and fantasizes about becoming that when they get older. So this is something that they're taught. Uh, this is something that happens to them. This is, um, there's a lot of factors involved, you know, um, music, media, you know, sexual abuse, 
uh, homelessness. There's generational prostitution where women are born into it. Pastor Paul will return with Jenny's story in a moment. More stories like Jenny's and other stories of trauma can be listened to and viewed at the website lifesupportresources.org. Life Support Resources are a ministry of Five Stone Media, and you'll find stories of hope, healing, and change again at this website, lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. Yeah, and when you when you talk about that lifestyle, uh, those of us who who haven't experienced it um, probably have really no idea. Um, but it sounds just dark. It is dark. Hopeless. Very empty. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's kind of like, um, because it's uh, in the the beginning, you know, you're lured into this. So it can look very glamorous. And it can look, um, you know, like an answer to some financial problems or a solution. Or, you know, maybe you're doing it just for the love of your trafficker, you know. And you don't really realize because there's so many lies involved and and masks that we wear when we're in that life. It takes a while, like an onion. Every time you lay down with somebody, you're losing a little piece of your Mm self-worth, a little layer. But then maybe we go shopping or maybe we do drugs or and, and we don't really notice that layer's gone because there's some kind of instant gratification that covers that but then after so many years or after a while or you're aging out or you know many you start having so many consequences like me losing my children addiction issues you know all kinds of things then you're like raw and you realize all of all of your self-worth is gone Mm -hmm. and you don't have any and there's no way then to and I, I would assume all those things you were using to numb that pain. They don't work don't anymore. Work anymore. They, yeah. they don't work anymore. So how how does a 14-year-old get lured into this? What what were you offered? Or how did someone convince you that this was going to be a good thing? So they had trouble um, trying to convince me, and it took my trafficker a while. It took months of grooming me. And it happened very subtly. You know, the first thing that traffickers usually do is figure out what was my vulnerability. And my vulnerability, I I had daddy issues. And I needed um, to feel loved. And and I also thought I was, you know, an adult. And I wasn't. And so my trafficker told me things like, you don't seem 14. You know, I don't think your parents understand you, but I do. You're not the average 14-year-old. Um, uh, you know, took me into bars, made me feel grown up. I didn't have to listen to my parents anymore. And I was doing all these adult things, and it was exciting. But then, you know, he would drive me down areas where there was prostitution happening. Back in those days, it was on the street, Lake Street. And he'd point out the women. And he'd say, what do you think about that? And I'd say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I would never do that. But then he would say something like, well, I actually respect those women. 
those women are doing what they got to do to take care of their children and, you know, survive. I think it takes a strong woman to do that. That's the kind of woman I'm looking for in my life. I want a strong woman. And I remember feeling, oh, my God, what if I can't measure up to him? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do that. And then he would with, withhold affection from me. He'd give it to me, then withhold it, you know. So there's all this stuff that, you know, happens where they get inside your head. And then he would take me to parties where there was other women involved in prostitution. And, you know, they were being glorified for what they were wearing and how much money they had. And, you know, all the music and the whole atmosphere was glorifying this. And Mm -hmm. I remember those women coming up to me and saying things like, oh, you know, well, you need to do this and you need to be doing that and make some money and wear shoes like me and have a purse like me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, they're so beautiful. I do want to be like them, but I don't know if I could do that. Then there's that initial. So that's the first stage of trafficking, mm-hmm. the the programming, the, the, um, the grooming. Then there's your initiation stage. And for everyone, it kind of happens differently. And for me, you know, I was tricked into thinking um, – my trafficker came up to me and told me this horrible story that all these gang members were after him and they were going to kill him if he didn't have a certain amount of money that night and he needed my help. Well, what can I do? I'm only 14. I don't know what to do. Yes, of course I love you. I want to help you. And I was really afraid. I believed that he was in danger. And he said, well, I have a plan. I've already got the money that I need in my pocket. There's some friends upstairs and they just want to party with you. And if you love me, you'll do this. And, you know, I didn't want to do it. And he finally was able to convince me when he told me, I'm going to be in the next room. Mm -hmm. And if anything goes wrong, just call my name. I'll come in and I'll stop the whole thing. Well, I didn't know that this was a setup and it was meant to break my self-worth and my self-esteem. So, of course, you know, it was a very violent experience, very traumatic very horrible, and when I called his name over and over again, he didn't come in and he didn't help me. And I remember when it was all over and done with, how he hugged me and kissed me and kind of spun me around. He was like, oh, my God, I really love you. You're my ride-or-die chick. You know, I can see that you love me now. Mm -hmm. It's going to be me and you against the world. Nothing's going to come between us again. And so all that you know, stuff happening, and, and you're 14. Yeah, 14. You know, you're... There's now a, your brain's not even developed yet to even be able to try to think through all that. No, there's a reason traffickers go after children, because yeah. they can be programmed. Wow. Uh, my guest is Jenny Gaines. She's uh, telling her story, and she's founded a, a wonderful organization that we're going to talk about in just a, a moment. We're talking about her life and, and some of the things that that have happened to lead her to this point. Um, back to sex trafficking again, and I know this is a topic that nobody really likes talking about, but I think it's it's so vitally important because our society is over-sexualized. Everything is about sex. Um, God's plan for sex has been thrown out the window. Um, shocking statistics are coming out now about those who are are, are Christians who don't know what the Bible teaches about sex. They don't seem to care because culture has formed that view of sexuality. But t- 
tell me, what kind of damage does this do to the woman? Because if if I'm a if pornography is a huge problem, and any pastor can tell you that uh, this is a an everyday occurrence of somebody saying I've got a problem with this, it destroys marriages, destroys the men and women. Women are also struggling with this. But I think most decent people would, if they knew the toll it was taking, would give it a second thought. So tell me what toll it took on you at the end of the day when you had to, when you had to go through this day after day after day after day. Um, well, it, it definitely took its toll. Um, when you are convinced that all your self-worth comes from, you know, what you look like, you know, how you are sexually, you know, you, you have women in prostitution tend to, to have a lot of boundary issues. Um, I remember an example, I went to the doctor and, you know, usually when you go to the doctor, they have you close the curtain and close the door and you get undressed. And because I had so many people had seen me, what did that matter? I didn't, right. need, you know, right. here I am taking my clothes off yeah. before he could get out the door. And just, just different boundaries. I had to learn mm-hmm. that breaking free, like that's not okay behavior, mm-hmm. you know. And to, I remember um, when I, f- uh, another example was I didn't know what it felt like. I remember sitting in the airport one time in Chicago, going to Chicago for to work one of the conventions and. I saw this woman rolling her suitcase and she had a suit on and she looked like she was going off to some business meeting and she probably had a nice family and and was financially secure and she just looked so beautiful and I wondered how come my life isn't like that? How come I have to go to Chicago to sleep with however many people and you know just feeling like um that was all your worth was laying on your back and on your hands and knees and and nobody really seeing anything else of value in you. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't make a certain amount of money, my trafficker withheld love for me. You know, if um, I, somebody, when you're taking your clothes off and then somebody's sizing you up to see if you're worth what they're paying, you mm-hmm. know, all that stuff just um, degrades you as yeah. a, as a person, and um, so to even today, after being out of the life for over ten years, I struggle with intimacy issues. Sure, and um, well, that's that's totally understandable, and it's amazing that you come as far as you have. You know, I as you're talking and and talking about how your self worth was little by little just chipped away at. Uh, I think back to how God made us all in his image. Mm-hmm. And that image is scarred by sin in all of us, but it's still there. Yeah. And so now you're on this road to recovery, you're helping others, and that the image of God is reemerging, if you want to put it that way. I don't know if people would like that theological language. and uh, But you know what I mean? It's it, The woman that you were made to be is still there. Amen. But but only God can help that to reemerge, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember when I 
ask God to give me a different life, give me one that he wanted me to have. And I literally just did everything he asked me to do. And sometimes I didn't understand why. Um, And literally watching as I look back on my life, how he has taken every single thing and changed it for his glory. Now I'm blown away just by that. That's what God does. He takes um, all this sin and he weaves it into some kind of thing that he can use for his glory, but not just use for his glory, but to also heal us at the same time. Right. It has to be about him, though, yep. not, not us. Yep, that's right. So tell me about the organization you founded. Uh, JCS Sober Living. JCS stands for Jesus Christ Saves because there's no way that I could have changed my life around the way I have without Jesus. And um, we've been open since 2018. I, um, After working in the housing program at Breaking Free for five years, I saw that there was a need that needed to be met before women are just given their, you know, independent living or, you know, given an apartment. And I saw that women just were, they didn't have life skills. They didn't have um, the time in between of building, like, a supportive, um, a support system. So I wanted to open up some homes where that was a step before you went into independent living. I didn't think it was possible, um, but a friend of mine had sober homes, and she said, well, you could do it too. And I thought, no way. <laughs> you know, I'm just Jenny from the block. You know, mm-hmm. there's no way I could have my own business or my own homes. And I called my dad and... You know, I was somebody that in the family, they wouldn't even let me drive their cars, you know. Yeah. There's no way I thought anybody would believe in me to support me to open a business or a nonprofit. I called him on the phone, and literally the next day he met up with me and gave me enough money to open my first sober home. Good for him. Yeah. And we've been full ever since. <laughs> wow. And you have some stuff coming up, right? You've got to play and... We Some do. other things. So this is our second year doing the Survivor Story Spotlight. And we partnered with another organization called CAST and Corey's House. And I, w- I wrote the play. The play is done in box theater style. And um, this year it's going to be July 18th at 6.30 at the EM Pearson Theater uh, at Concordia University. 312 Hamlin Avenue, and uh, we're, we had great success last year, so we're doing it again this year, and it'll be um, different actors playing different parts of my life. And you wrote it. And I wrote it. Well, really, it was the Holy Spirit that, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've never written a play before or anything like that, but it was the Holy Spirit. Well, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. So um, how would someone find out Uh, more information about that and uh, the organization itself if they would like to donate or just find out more? Um, Well, you know, I I just connected with Amplify Learning Center and they created a GoFundMe account. So if you go on GoFundMe, you can search um, Empowering Survivors of Sex Trafficking and you'll be able to donate that way. You can also go straight to our website, jcssoberliving.org and donate. Um, For the play, uh, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to post a 
a link on my website where you can purchase tickets or or you can definitely, you know, reach out to me on the website and I can get you tickets. It's like $10 a ticket. You can also sponsor um, tickets for other survivors to see the play. Well, that's um, really, really neat. And I just really appreciate your candor and being wi- willing to tell your story. Um, it's going to help a lot of people and open a lot of eyes. So thanks a lot, Jenny. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it so much. You know, as we as we talked about Jenny's life and about where God has taken her now, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2.9, where the Bible says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And you may be in a spot right now where you think that you have no hope. You think that God's done with you. You, you think that God's thrown you in the side of the road. But that's just the enemy lying to you. Uh, God is never done with you. God cares about you. God loves you. Um, and if you're willing to reach out to him and just cry out to him, he will be there for you. So again, Jenny's story is a wonderful example of what God can do in the life of a woman who had been through literal hell on earth. And I want to just thank you for listening to Life Support. These are the kind of stories that we want to get out there, and we want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus through these stories. I want to thank our wonderful partners, Faith Radio. Uh, You can check them out at myfaithradio.com. You can see a video version of this podcast at vitesonemedia.com, and you can check us out here at Ridgewood Church if you'd like at myrwc.org. And I'd love to see you on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. Thanks so much for listening to Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support